everybody, welcome back. You are listening to Joygasm, a video game and movie podcast. I am Russ Xbox Live Toaster360. He is Steve Xbox Live Stevevich. And we want to wish everyone a happy Halloween in episode 197 today, October 30th, 2020. We have a lot of tantalizing morsels that we're going to be covering this particular episode. Gaming news includes Fortnite featuring Ghostbusters, Cyberpunk 2077 delayed, Halo Director leaves, 343 Industries, and Gearbox entering the Battle Royale genre with an update to Borderlands 3. Movie News Spotlight South Park creators launching a new series called Sassy Justice. And Marvel reaches out to Hugh Jackman to reprise his role as Wolverine. Technology News highlights Kibi shutting its doors. And I have to insert a little apology here. This was actually something that we were planning on covering last week. And I totally forgot to be able to segue to that topic. So we're going to be covering it this week. Our topic of the day is, can Disney parks survive? Which you can fast forward to if you look at the timestamps located in this episode's detailed section of iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, YouTube. Otherwise, just keep listening. Happy Friday to you, good sir. Happy Friday to you. It's good to see you as always. Indeed. Likewise. Hmm. I cannot believe that we totally, we meaning I, it's my fault. It is your fault. It's always my fault. It is always your fault. Uh, even the Disney story, what's interesting about that is is we were going to be talking about that as a uh, part of our technology news right. last week. And actually ended up working out in our favor just because more information has come about since mm. last week. And so we decided we're going to just roll that into our topic of the day. There you go. Todd is taken care of. Oh, uh, Todd. Uh, Todd. Have you, have you seen Todd today? Anyway, Todd. Todd! <laughs> I need a coffee. Wasn't that the kid's name in Austin Powers? The kid? Which kid? Austin, uh, Dr. Evil's kid. No, that was Scott. Scott! Yeah. <laughs> 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 little, uh, little off there, Steve. Ah, sounded kind of. What was similar. Austin? What was Doctor Evil's son's name? Frank? Is that what it was? <laughs> Ralph. <laughs> what is new with you, Steve? What are you watching? What have you been playing? Russ, did you ever see uh, a day in the neighborhood? Or what was that, uh, Mister Rogers flick with uh, Tom Hanks? Was that day in the neighborhood? No, I know that we talked about it on the show. In terms, would of, you be my neighbor? Yeah, I have not seen it. I just saw it. And it is interesting, uh, but I think they could have done better, honestly. Mm. I think I still think they should have replaced Tom Hanks with somebody else. I mean, Tom Hanks, I, I, I watched some interviews with Mr. Rogers afterward, and Tom Hanks did well at capturing like his gestures and, and like, you know, he would kind of his genteel quality, the way like he would tie his shoes, for example, like every day when he would walk in he would change his shoes, you know, and he would just tie that knot. I mean, every, he had his mannerisms down, but Tom Hanks is, I just don't think Tom Hanks was Fred Rogers. Well, and we talked about that back when the news broke that the movie was coming out, and that was kind of our our main concern was we are both Tom Hanks fans. We both have uh, enjoyed his performances in a lot of different movies, but for this one in, in particular, 
we, I remember us talking about how we, we were not sold from the trailer on whether or not Tom Hanks could deliver on that. What's interesting though, is that I have talked to other folks who have seen it and they feel as though he did. He like, he, he hit the mark. And so it's interesting, um, hearing kind of like the, like there's, there are these two camps really when it comes to that. I'm not, I don't want to say Tom Hanks did a bad job. I just don't think he hit the nail on the head. Do you think that it was a good effort though? It was a good effort. Yes. Yeah. Um, I was wondering, cause you know, Tom Hanks, like if you see him like, you know, on outtakes and behind the scenes stuff, he's actually kind of a jovial guy. He's kind of wacky in yeah. a way. And, but, and he really is rather calm in a lot of his movies. Um, but I don't know. It, it seemed like he, I don't know. I can't put my finger on it, but it, he did. I, when you, when you see Fred, you know, Mr. Rogers and in interviews. Yeah. He does speak very slow. He's very psychological, you know, on, on a, well, he's a thoughtful guy, very thoughtful guy. He's not a fast talker. Right. Um, but Tom Hanks almost looked like he was trying to peer into your childhood too much with everybody he was he's speaking with. And I didn't see that with, Mr. Rogers being Mr. Rogers. Um, I mean, there, there were scenes where uh, the, the movie basically takes place. Th- there, there was an article that was written about him. I think it was called, uh, can you say hero? I think okay. it was. So it's based on an article that was actually done. The whole story is written on this article. Um, well, and it's not just like him in front of the camera doing his show. Like, correct. doesn't the film take more of a behind the scenes approach? Yes. And, in the film, it, I'm assuming that that Fred Rogers is still alive. It's not like it's, it's yeah, like a right. like he's passed away and then people are just reflecting on right. his contributions, right? Correct. I did not know that going in, and I kind of went and I well, not kind of. I did go in thinking that it was kind of going to be a story about Mr. Rogers wanting to set up this show or seeing the need for his type of program with like society. Hmm. Um, I know you've seen that clip on YouTube where he's sitting in front of like some, some television committee and they're asking him, why should we fund him? That's a very good clip. And I thought it was going to be more towards that. So we could see like, okay, this is how Mr. Rogers came to be Mr. Rogers on TV. And and it's just not. I want to say, I heard recently that um, Mr. Rogers, his program, I think was done in, Pittsburgh, if I'm not mistaken, I think it's over there. It's like Pennsylvania or yeah, Pittsburgh Pennsylvania, or yeah. something like that. But, um, you know, the funniest thing I just have to share, and I can't remember if I've told you this already, but for the longest time, I thought he lived in San Francisco. <laughs> and I think it's because of all the trolley cars on the show. And like, you know, whether it's like the little miniature neighborhood kind of thing where sometimes you see it or, or like when he's in his fantasy world, um, segment of, of his program, there are a lot of these train cars, trolley car kind of setups. And so I just kind of automatically assumed, Oh, it's probably San Francisco just because of that. And when I was thinking about like, for instance, Jim Henson was in San Francisco, right. he, he had his whole operation there as well. So it was really funny to, to find out. It's like, Oh, I'm totally wrong. It's, he was actually on the East coast. Yeah. And it's funny. I was thinking about when I watched Mr. Rogers as a kid and 
you know, sometime I did enjoy the show, but I didn't enjoy it as much as like Sesame Street or like Looney Tunes or something. Cause you know, those are wacky. Those were more, way more funny. Those were, you know, more entertaining. Kind more of instant gra- gratification. Yeah. Instant gratification kind of grabbed my attention a lot more. However, I did like Mr. Rogers and, it, you know, thinking back, like Mr. Rogers was that guy where like maybe you wouldn't hang out with him on the weekends, but like if anybody ever messed with Mr. Rogers, you'd be like, no, yeah, like that's my boy. Yeah, like, Mr. Rogers, I'd be like, no, you don't mess with Mr. Rogers. You mess with Mr. Rogers. You, you'd have like- You mess with me. <laughs> <laughs> like if, if someone tried to physically harm Mr. Rogers, yeah. you, you would have like, like I could just picture like, like the most like rough and tumble- like laced in tattoos, yeah. ex cons with a heart of gold, <laughs> right. like come out and defend them and, and just, you know, just be like, you will not. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, it, it was interesting, but I, so it sounds like the film was pretty good. It's just that like, in terms of like, if you compare how Tom Hanks's performance was to the actual Mr. Rogers, for you personally, it didn't necessarily hit it right on the mark, but maybe the movie as a whole was good. Yeah, I would say I mean, it's definitely worth a watch. It, it Going into it, I, I wish I looked more into what the story was based on. Uh, because I think if I knew that going in, I would have known where to put my expectations. Yeah. By no means is it a bad movie at all. It is a slow movie. I will say that. I yeah. mean, you know, you, you want to watch a movie and just chill out and, you know, feel good after. I mean, yeah, definitely watch it. Um, but anyway, I wish I just would have known more about it going in. So I watched it and uh, would recommend it to you. Okay. On a slow night. I also threw back in Transformers 1. Uno. The Michael Bay film. Yeah. Ah. Figured it was time to give it a whirl. Wow. Once more. Cool. It's great. Watched it with the wife. Has she seen it before? She has. Ah. And so the first one is definitely the best. I go back and forth. I definitely love the first one. I also like Dark Side of the Moon as well. I feel like that one was really good. But I, I think it, the first one probably beats it, beats it out. I, I would yeah. say the first one probably is, in fact, the best. Stealing the children was a bad move. That was like one of my favorite scenes. <laughs> Rips off the, the, the roof of the, the SUV. Yeah, the Suburban, whatever it was. Yeah. So that was awesome. Uh, I still love that movie quite a bit. And so other than that, I've really just been playing Overwatch. Uh, <laughs> you said it wrong, Steve. Throughout <gasps> Overwatch. That's yeah, better. Throughout the week. That's like literally, oh, you know what? No, I don't. So last week we were talking about Ubisoft. Yes, the Uplay. So I put back, I remember I said I was going to throw in my games and, and look into, Yeah, so I have a couple of older Ubisoft titles. Did you ransack it? Did you feel like a Viking? Did you pillage? It, w- it w- No, it wasn't available. Oh. It was like still like, okay, yeah, I got to pay for it. I'm like, what? Oh, weird. And what? I'm like, hold on now. I have not created a UPlay account, but I have I haven't read that you have to do that. I heard I read that you they were just giving it away. So I was a bit disappointed. Gotcha. So anyhow, not that I'm being well, maybe I am being cheap because I don't want to spend all this extra money on like DLC. But I mean, yeah, I definitely would want to get it for a world. But if you're gonna tell me, yeah, we're just giving it away, you know, because we're great guys, and I go awesome, yeah. And then I throw in the game, and then it's still charging me. 
you know, 10 bucks here and 14 bucks there. I'm like, what is this? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Anything else? Nope. Hmm. About it, Russ. Well, on my side of things, there were a couple of movie trailers that came out. Well, not actually, let me back up. Game trailers, not movie trailers. Game trailers. Right. One of them was the Apex Legends Season 7 trailer. Right. Um, my buddy Scott Russell works over um, on that game at EA. And um, it's I have to hand it to that entire team over at uh, Respawn. The, the trailers themselves, I find very fascinating. And it's cool that they have this kind of episodic approach to each one of their, their new seasons that come out. And, and the game itself, as you know, it's, it's predominantly like this battle Royale title. It's not a narrative driven campaign type of game, but they have adopted um, kind of the overwatch almost uh, type of setup when it comes to cinematics in the sense that, you know, overwatch is a multiplayer only game. It does not have any kind of single player story or narrative to it. And so blizzard as a result especially during the first few years that the the game was out, they would drop these almost episodic type of trailers as well. And we all ate it up because the production value was fantastic. It was cool because you got to learn more about the characters. So they're doing the same thing with this. And I, I got to say, like, they're just really fun to watch. And it does make me want to pop the game back in just because I know that the game is a, a good battle royale game. But it it is one of those games that didn't necessarily hook me up front. And with the 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 deluge of like all these other games that I'm still trying to beat and also enjoy playing, it did get shelved a bit. But at the same time, I, I'm always looking over there and thinking, man, I should go and take a look and see what kind of new content they have, that sort of thing. You should, Russ. Now, they also had, well, not they, but in terms of... Uh, trailers. There was another one that was the League of Legends Wild Rift trailer. So this was to kick off the fact that the LOL game is actually coming to mobile and console. Right. Before it was just PC exclusive. And I think that's a pretty shrewd move of Riot Games to actually have their their kind of main game come out in, on these platforms. I think that, that it'll probably play, especially on console. I think console, it'll, it'll be a success. I'm not so sure when it comes to mobile, just because League of Legends being a MOBA title, like there is a lot of moving around and I just don't, I mean, unless you're using some sort of controller that's connected to your mobile device, if you're using your fingers constantly, I think that it can get kind of sloppy. Yeah. I've played some mobile games where it's basically your, your fingers on what would be the D-pad. Yeah. And you're moving around and it, and it works pretty decently. But after a while, like at least my fingers, and I may have some soft fingers, Russ. You know, my skin, my skin is naturally silky smooth. You have small hands. Um, Smell like cabbage. So anyhow, I find that like my skin gets a bit rough after I've been D-padding it on my phone for a while. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how well that's going to go. I, I think it's going to take off. I, but I don't know like the long term if it's, if it's going to do well, but I mean, more and more people are playing games on mobile anyway. Mm. So it, it would make sense. Like a game like this would be on mobile. There's tons of games like it on be on mobile. So it makes sense. Russ. Right. Right. 
I am happy to tell you that I beat Star Wars Squadrons. Did you? I did. And it was a very fun romp through. I definitely recommend it to those who are on the fence of whether or not they want to play Star Wars Squadrons. I, I, I will say that if you have a PC that is capable of running new games, that I think the PC version is the way to go just because you're going to have a much better experience overall. I have not experienced it in virtual reality. I do think that, that everybody who has a VR headset, they rave about like how awesome the game is. And, and really I, I, after playing through the entire thing, I could see how that would really be that like, next level of, of immersion. So, but the one thing though, is I felt as, as if the, the way the game ended was kind of abrupt. Like there, there wasn't, there seemed to be kind of a, a need to have maybe one or two more battles in there to kind of tidy up the narrative itself. And if you get around to beating it yourself, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on that. I would want to play it in VR, but also with like a flight stick. Yes. Because that would complete the experience. If I'm in VR, but I'm still using my Xbox controller or something or a PlayStation controller, that's not going to do it. Even like a keyboard and mouse, that's not going to do it. Like I want a stick. Right. You know, I want to be able to like push buttons and then have it, have the guy correspond or the pilot, excuse me, you know, correspond to push the buttons and, you know, roll this way and fly that way and accelerate and decelerate. I want to do that on a a flight stick with a pad on it or something, some other controls. Now that reminds me of the void, which is that VR experience uh-huh. at the, the theater. That would be really cool. If you wanted to be a hardcore fan about it, like you could actually construct a cockpit that would resemble well, it'd be hard to do because they have <laughs> multiple ships in the game. But like if you had some sort of like generalized cockpit that you could actually reach out and you could feel the buttons and levers and stuff and you could actually have things get um, updated, whether it's your engines or your weapon power or your shields, that would be even better. But you know what would be cool, though? You remember in like in the arcades, like Scandia? how they would have like afterburner or something. It's totally hydraulic. So like when you were pulling back on the stick or flying this way and that way, the whole seat would like oh, yeah. fly with you. Oh yeah. If they could do that, but have more just screens around you. I mean, that would be, that would be sweet. Oh yeah. You know, I'm sure that many people would be able to afford it too. You know, but I mean, well, they'd have to make it so like, you know, people could afford it. But I mean, they give you like three lives like they do in the regular game, whatever. I mean, prices have gone up considerably in arcades, Russ. I mean, it costs like a buck to play a game as before it was like a quarter. Those are good days. And so I think they would get their, their, their money's worth. Those were very good days, Steve. They're, yes, you could spend five bucks and quarters and have a whirl of a time. I continued my quest in Final Fantasy VII Remake. In fact, I was on the phone with you as I was playing through mm. some of that. And I just feel compelled to share with all of our lovely listeners out there that it's such uh, an annoyance of mine when you're playing this game and you're trying to heal, like like you cast Cure on yourself or one of the characters, and that cast takes so long to execute that more often than not, you get hit by the enemy and then you go unconscious and it's all for naught. Even, even like after the animation has actually finished and you're just waiting for the, the, the numerical digits to appear, you can still get hit and get knocked. I'm like, guys, 
This is this is a bit much. And I understand. Fine. That's their gameplay. That's how their penalty system works. You know, you got to be quicker on the draw when you cast it. Fine. But at the same time, just like, this is a little, I don't know. They could have tightened this up a little bit here, but <laughs> I'm at the part um, in the game where I'm going up a tower and I don't want to disclose too much information, but essentially I, I think I'm getting close to a <laughs> boss fight because I keep running into like kind of these little mini bosses and harder enemies and stuff. And I have a feeling once I reach the top of the tower that there will be another uh, boss fight. Which I don't want to spoil anything, but I... Walked up a flight of stairs. I walked up a yeah, exactly. <laughs> I walked up a flight of stairs, and then another flight of stairs, <laughs> and then a ladder. <laughs> and and then I, I did actually. <laughs> there were there were there were ladders too. And then I opened a door. A lot of steel. <laughs> lot of reflective surfaces. A lot of robots. A lot of industrial textures. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I have gotten back into that game. I took a break for a while just because the game itself, it's interesting because the game is kind of goofy in, in its presentation. And I, I expected that because I watched you play the original Final Fantasy seven on PlayStation one. So I knew going in, it's like, okay, it's, it's a JRPG. There are some things about it that are, that are kind of uh, silly or whatever, but I, as a result, I can't just binge play the game because it, it gets a little too goofy at times. I'm like, okay, I got to take a break from this and play some other stuff. But then once that, that, that amount of time has passed, then I'm like, oh, you know what? I'm feeling Final Fantasy VII. Let me, let me, let me pop it back in. So <laughs> the game is beautiful. I got to say through and through everywhere I've been. I think if I had to guess, I'm probably roughly 70% of the way through this chapter or whatever. But... Yeah, it is a, a really good looking game and um I'll I'll let you borrow it if you're interested once I, I beat it there, Steve. Really? I don't know. You you've been kind of wishwashy though in terms of your interest level. So I, I don't know if you will take me up on that or not. Well, I uh <laughs> I was thinking about seeing what the cost would come down to. Oh on Black Friday. That has always been the plan. I see. So if it's still like 50 bucks, I'll borrow it, bro. You know what I'm saying? I mean, if you're almost done with it, you're not going to play with it again. Well, it, yeah. <laughs> I'll, at that point, I'll just hold on to it for a memento. But like, if you want to borrow <laughs> it, you can totally play it. At, oh, uh, thanks. Thanks, bro. Thanks a lot. Bro. And you never know. I mean, maybe I'll be done with it by the end of the year. There you go. Hey, because you know, we both know there are no next gen titles that are being released <laughs> for the console <laughs> launch. Feel like I'm in the twilight zone. When the heck did that ever happen? Well, now you're done with Star Wars, so you can finish out Final Fantasy. I could. And I, since Cyberpunk is delayed, you're not going to be playing anything in November. That's true. Definitely gives me the opportunity to finish that up, as well as Resident Evil 2. I still need to get through that. I won't take it long. And finally, <laughs> we were playing some Overwatch. Junkenstein's Revenge right. during our Wednesday night streaming, mm -hmm. which happens every week at 9.30 mm -hmm. p.m. Central Time. When it and works. Yeah. Yeah, when it actually works. <laughs> I have got to say, I do wish that they updated the, the environment that we play Junkenstein's Revenge in. Because if you think about it, the game came out in like, what, 2016? So the game is four years old. Right. And I always look forward to, as I know you do as well, when they have the Halloween special stuff come out. And I really do like kind of the, the, the 
Transylvania-esque type of castle village type setup thing. I don't know. It would have been nice if they had some sort of other feature where perhaps you're romping down the winding pathways of the village leading up into some sort of grand haunted Transylvania castle thing. I don't know. Like, I think that'd be a lot of fun to be able to do. I think they'll probably do that with the next overwatch that comes out because they're already like thinking of putting in missions and not just, you know, team battle kind of thing. Right. So I'm thinking that might be there, but I know what you're saying because I thought, you know, okay, I, I play it. I play Junkenstein's revenge like four times in a night, maybe five. And yeah, you know, it does get a little bit wearing for us. Well, I would like to see something a little different. Exactly. And I, and I and well, you've played it quite a bit. So I can imagine how that's starting to get, uh, feel a little old because you just, you've been really at it. And the game feature itself is fun. Even after four years, it's still fun to go through it. And, and it's, it's like the classic survival game, right? Against the, the hordes and onslaught of, of increasingly difficult enemies. So it, like it, it's a testament to the, the solid game design. into some gaming news. What do you say, huh, Steve? Ah, sounds garbage. Kicking things off, Fortnite adds Ghostbuster skins, Proton Pack, Ecto Glider, Ghost Trap, and more. Revealed on Twitter, the Ghostbusters crossover brings in character skins as the aforementioned list goes on with the Ghost Trap and Proton Pack, uh, the Ecto Glider, and so on and so forth. Now, these Ghostbuster skins join an ever-growing roster of fan favorites from franchises like Star Wars, Batman, Marvel, and so many more. I think it's so funny that you and I don't play Fortnite, despite the fact that it's taken over the world and they have basically the pick of the litter in terms of different IPs. It's just not for me, Russ. Well, but... I feel as though like we need to give it another shot. In fact, I don't even know if you've even tried it out. Have you tried Fortnite, Steve? I, I played a demo of it. You did? Yeah. I feel like we need to jump back in because it's highly ironic that we're just not hooked on it. I, th I think we were more into Overwatch at the time. Maybe that's what it is. I, I don't know, but it just seems like with all of these... I mean, the, 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 with Marvel, for instance, coming in there as well, it would just be a lot of fun to just mess around. Maybe something we, we, we give a shot, Steve. We, we, should, we should give another shot. Yeah, I might do that. Now, Cyberpunk 2077, unfortunately, has been delayed yet again. This was something that came up on Twitter, and I'm going to take a little look-see here and see if I can read it. I had it open. Where to go? There it is. It says, hey everyone. Today we've decided to move the release date of Cyberpunk 2077 by 21 days. The new release date is December 10th. Most likely there are many emotions and questions in your heads. So first and foremost, please accept our humble apologies. The biggest challenge for us right now is shipping the game on current gen, next gen, and PC at the same time which requires us to prepare and test nine versions of it. One for the Xbox One, 
one for the X, compatibility on Xbox Series S and X, the PS4, the PS4 Pro, compatibility on PS5, PC, and even Stadia while we're all from working from home. Since Cyberpunk 2077 evolved towards almost being a next-gen title somewhere along the way, we need to make sure everything works well and every version runs smoothly. We are, we are aware it might seem unrealistic when someone says that 21 days can make any difference in such a massive and complex game, but they really do. Some of you might also be wondering what these words mean in light of us saying we achieved Gold Master some time ago. Passing certification or quote-unquote going gold means the game is ready, can be completed, and has all content in it. But it does not mean we uh, stop working on it and raising the, the quality bar. On the contrary, this is the time where many improvements are being made, which will then be distributed via a day zero patch. This is the time period we undercalculated. And then it, final, it, it concludes by saying, we feel uh, we have an amazing game on our hands and are willing to make every decision, even the hardest ones, if it ultimately leads to you getting a video game you fall in love with. So that was from Adam Madowski and Marcin Iwaninski. Um, as far as I'm concerned, I, I, I've, I've stated this many times, they can have as much time as they want with the game. I just want it to be the best that it can possibly be. And honestly, I hope that the extra 21 days perhaps allows them enough time to optimize it for the next gen because there was kind of that, that time period where they weren't going to actually necessarily optimize it for next gen. Like it would still run on the Xbox Series X and the PS5, but it wouldn't necessarily take advantage of that hardware. It would probably do something like, like have shorter load times and that would be it. I don't know if, if what they had to say in this tweet directly corresponds to them actually optimizing or not, but I'm hoping that that is, in fact, the case. I think it will be. I, I was looking at a few of the tweets, and like there are some angry gamers out there who don't have that viewpoint, which... I can understand why people will be frustrated where, I mean, they delayed it again and again and again and again. Like, okay, it's ready. It's going to be ready. It's going to be ready. But, man, have you have you read some of these vile tweets? Honestly, I have not. Most oh. of the tweets I've seen are people being supportive. Man. They're, they're there are, there are those, too. But there are some twisted comments out there. Like, I'm not putting blame at all. Because, yeah, if they release the game and there's a bunch of bugs in it, people are going to complain. Like, yeah. why didn't you, well, you... You didn't see that when you were testing it? Like, what, what's up, bro? You know, so they might as well polish the game like they're, they're going to do and make it that much better. But, man, there are some, like, toxic people out there. I tell you what. Wow. Yeah, unfortunately, there are those that you can never satisfy. Those same people would probably be the ones who'd be complaining if the game were to be released with those bugs actually not addressed. Yeah. And it's actually kind of cool that they're taking the time to make sure it's for next gen because there's not that many cool titles coming out on launch. And so, hey, you can play Cyberpunk, which is going to be a hit. It's going to be huge. It's going to be huge. Huge. Um, pretty much on launch. I mean, that's that, that could be like the game. Well, and, and I think you bring up a good point, which is, I mean, 
my, my thing is, is, is for my first playthrough and every playthrough after that, when it comes to Cyberpunk 2077, the ideal experience would be one of next gen. Like I, I for one really want them to investigate and be able to take advantage, like leverage all that hardware processing power that both systems comes with. So if they can't get it, I'm confident that maybe in 2021, they'll have some sort of massive patch that will actually take advantage of that, which will be great because I'll just give us another reason to replay the game all the way through and see what all we missed. But I don't know. I, 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 at this point, I would give it like a 50-50 shot because again, especially for the Xbox Series X, it's so close in terms of its architecture to just a gaming PC that it shouldn't be hard at all for the developers to actually have some sort of options, video setting, menu, where you know the gamer, if they want to choose performance versus the visual fidelity, they can actually go in and tweak that. I think, I think it's possible. We'll see. Now, another big news article that dropped was that another Halo Infinite director leaves the project. Bloomberg reports that game director Chris Lee has left the Halo Infinite project. This comes not long after Infinite was delayed past the Xbox Series X slash S's uh, launch and into some unspecified date in 2021. Lee confirmed the news with Bloomberg saying he has stepped back from his role on Halo Infinite. Despite there being no new release date, Lee said he is confident that the team will deliver on a great game next year. Notably, he's the second director to leave the game in the last two years. There's a quote here from him. Chris says, I have stepped back from the inf from Infinite and I am looking at future opportunities. I believe in the team and am confident they will deliver a great game and now is a good time for me to step away, end quote. Microsoft commented on Chris Lee taking a step back from his role as director on Halo Infinite, saying Lee remains a Microsoft employee. So he didn't actually leave the company Microsoft. Apparently, he just left the actual Halo project itself. Quote, Chris Lee remains a Microsoft employee, and while he has stepped back from Halo Infinite right now, we appreciate all he has done for the project to date, Microsoft said in a statement to GameSpot. According to his LinkedIn profile, Lee has been with 343 Industries since 2008, where he served as a lead producer on the Halo franchise. In 2016, Lee was promoted to partner studio head in which he spearheaded the spiritual reboot to Halo series, like uh, likely referring to Halo 5. Now, I do think that is very telling right there because I, for one, did not like Halo 5. I thought Halo 5 did not feel like Halo, and it's... It makes, to me personally, it makes perfect sense that after watching the game demo of Halo Infinite, I'm like, there are things about it. Like, like it, it, it was good that it felt like, like one of the older Halo games, but there were still issues as, you know, more specifically, like, like with the graphics, for example, that just, it, it, it has not evolved in a way that it should. So I don't know if that was a, a direct, um, correlation to Chris Lee's involvement with the game or not. We'll just have to find out. Finally, Gearbox shows off Arms Race, the new Borderlands 3 co-op battle royale alike mode. Uh, as we all know, Borderlands 3 has a big expansive setting compared to the other two games, and it's about to get a little bit bigger. Gearbox announced Arms Race, which is, quote, the galaxy's premier reality murder show 
Uh, Arms Race takes place on a new map, much like the Battle Royale games. Players will drop into the map with no gear, abilities, or tools. Then they'll search the map to find power-ups and race toward the final section of the map. However, this is a cooperative roguelike mode and players aren't brawling with other squads of players as in a game like Apex Legends. Instead, they're working their way through the Stormblind complex, fighting off AI enemies. Players can only revive each other at certain points, and if everyone dies, the match is over and all loot is lost. So it's almost kind of like Junkenstein's Revenge minus the loot. The mode stars the usual four characters, and Axton and Salvador from Borderlands 2 serve as announcers. The catch is that the players, if they survive the map and it's murder, what is it? Murder Kane, which I guess is a combination of the words murder and hurricane, get to keep the loot they earned along the way. Arms Race is set to launch on November 10th and is included in the game's second season pass. So what do you think about that, Steve? Kind of a combination of uh, Battle Royale and like survival almost. I almost don't see how the two can... <laughs> I don't know. Battle Royale is big and takes forever. And survival, I always think like onslaughts coming at you and hurry and find ammo and you're firing at everything. You know, I I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Pivoting over to movie news, South Park creators launch new deep fake satire series called Sassy Justice. Now, of course, the creators known as Matt Stone and Trey Parker uh, they joined forces with Peter Serafinowicz. I'm not. I, I apologize. I'm not sure how to pronounce his last name correctly there, but he worked on Guardians of the Galaxy and Shaun of the Dead for this new project. Its first installment landed on YouTube yesterday on October. Well, it's not yesterday. This is this is actually it landed on October 26th and features deep fakes of Donald and Ivanka Trump, the president's senior advisor, Jared Kushner, and Facebook boss, Mark Zuckerberg, and Michael Caine, of all people. So there's a quote here. It says, Fred Sassy is an American consumer advocate and reporter for the Cheyenne News at 9, a local TV station in Cheyenne, Wyoming. An official descri- uh, description reads, On his weekly show, Sassy Justice, Fred goes to battle for the common man. In his hometown, so it sounds as if it's it's almost like a kind of a same not not the same but a very similar setup like in terms of like the the environment that South Park was in. Uh, only you're not in Colorado anymore; you're in Wyoming. But <laughs> um, I think that the idea itself is a novel one, just because deep fakes have really taken the internet by storm. And I think it's equal parts fascinating and terrifying because you're able to take literally anybody who has a lot of pictures and video online and essentially map their face onto some other actor. And you can even do the same with with the voice. And suddenly you have almost an an indescribable, really. Like you, you cannot tell hardly that it is a deep fake unless you see that it, you know it is deep fake or maybe like like the actor's body type is noticeably different than the actual actor but in terms of it being a, a like a, a TV series i do wonder how they're going to get away with some of this stuff just because they are in fact taking the likeness 
of different people, whether they are celebrities or they are public uh, folks in government, whatever it might may be. I just don't know how they can avoid getting sued. And I don't know. I, I Like I said, I do think there's major potential for it to be really funny and probably very disturbing. I don't know if it's going to take off in the same way that South Park has because South Park is, I mean, I think they have, they've had something like 24 seasons. I mean, they, <laughs> it just keeps going and going. I mean, they're, they're rivaling the Simpsons at this point in terms of uh, staying power. What do you think? I'm sure they look through all the legal mumbo jumbo and add lawyers. I mean, they, they know what they're doing there. I mean, South Park has tested plenty of limits before. I mean, they're throwing up celebrities and political figures and, you know, whoever, whatnot, and, and satire and making fun of them. And so I don't think they would nonchalantly just make a show that could get them in deep trouble and just see what happens. Well, and... <laughs> Matt Stone and Trey Parker are, are no strangers to controversy. I mean, they are very much in, and that's one of the reasons why we love them. It's like they, they are no uh, slouches when it comes to that. And they're, and they're not shy to be provocative, you know? Exactly. They, they definitely like to push that boundary as much as they can. And I think they've been very successful over their careers as a result. The other story, and this is this one has got me pretty excited, I must say. I don't know how excited you are. Marvel reaches out to Hugh Jackman for a Wolverine return. Comicbook.com reports that Marvel has apparently reached out to Hugh Jackman for a return to the Wolverine role, which follows the rumors that Feige wanted the actor back in the MCU one last time. Scooper uh, Daniel RPK posted a screenshot of what looks to be some sort of Marvel production sheet where it states that on September 10th, Marvel has a, a quote unquote offer out to Hugh Jackman. Okay. So now here we we're, we're kind of getting into rumor territory here. So again, just take this with a grain of salt. <laughs> we're this, getting a deep fake territory. Th 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 this is, this is, well, it's not deep fake. But <laughs> I know, I know, I know. This is highly speculative, very, very much speculation territory. But it's fun, nonetheless, just to kind of think about. According to rumors, Doctor Strange 2 will feature the Avengers made up of multiverse characters played by actors who were previously up for the roles that went to Robert Downey Jr., which we know who, you know, he played uh, Iron Man, Chris Evans, who played Captain America, Scarlett Johansson for Black Widow, etc. So that would mean that Tom Cruise would play Iron Man John Krasinski as Captain America and Emily Blunt as Black Widow in one of those types of multiverse scenarios. The notion of, of Hugh Jackman returning as Wolverine alongside the Avengers is something that Jackman actually said he would consider um, as around the time of the release of Logan, Jackman said he would um, only consider returning with the Avengers. And there's a quote here where, it said, where he said, um, you know, the Avengers would prove too much to turn down. Uh, which he said back in, two, in February of 2017, because I always love the idea of, of him, meaning Wolverine, within that dynamic with the Hulk, obviously, with Iron Man, but there are a lot of smarter people with MBAs who can't figure that out. You know, hint, you know, cue the laughter. You never know. 
at the moment, honestly, if I really did have them there, I probably wouldn't have said that this is the last uh, outing regarding Logan. Right. It just feels like this is the right time to leave the character, end quote. So this has this the 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 geek sense in me is tingling a lot with this because again, we've covered stories like this recently where like, for instance, like the Spider-Man uh, film, it sounds as though like, like they it's, it's official. They are bringing in Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield um, to join up with Tom Holland and uh, someone else. So who, who was the other Tobey Maguire, Tom Holland, yeah, maybe it was just the three of I them. I think it's it just three of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I was thinking Jamie Foxx because because they're they're bringing in some of the villains. And sure, stuff as right. Well. So I'm thrilled at that prospect, and I hope it it makes it to the finish line. And in terms of Doctor Strange, uh, you know, Doctor Strange is also going to make an appearance into the Spider-Man film. I would love it if they would continue down this trajectory of. Um, it really, it, it, it's a sandbox that they can play in creatively, really. I mean, like when you, when you think about, for instance, Michael Keaton, there was a huge um, update to that where where um, talks have continued on and he has signed on for like a Batman Begins type thing. I'm not sure if that's for like a, like a cartoon movie or if it's for a, a live action film, whatever it is. But then there's also talk of him possibly being within the uh, the upcoming Flash film, which would be amazing. That'd be nuts. So for me, I'm very excited at the prospect of having these actors who are beloved for their roles of different comic book characters over the last 30 years reprise their roles in different capacities. That would be, again, like... like at the end of, of Avengers Infinity War and Endgame, I thought to myself, I found myself sitting in the, in the in the theater seat as the credits are rolling, just completely satisfied. But then I, I was also thinking to myself, how are they going to top this? How on earth are they going to be able to, to reach the, the, the same level of fandom that, that they have achieved throughout the last 10 years? And one of the things that I thought about was how the introduction of the X-Men because there is uh, some story that, that involves the Avengers and the X-Men together, that would be the answer, right? And and we have not seen the MCU's ad, uh, adaption uh, or really their take on the world of X-Men. We've seen it through Fox and Brian Singer and that sort of thing, but not necessarily through Kevin Feige. So I think that would be really, really exciting. But on top of that, the notion that they are now seemingly embracing the, the notion that they want to start to explore the multiverse I think it is a genius level idea to actually bring in different folks who either uh, like, like were trying out for the role or folks that they were considering for the role that turned the role down and as a result wish they had taken the role because of how lucrative and successful the overall MC world has been. I would love it. I mean, for, for someone like me, like personally, I would love to see some sort of setup where maybe they're able to bring back Robert Downey Jr. to reprise his role as Iron Man yet again, have him meet, like, like, like have a scene where all of a sudden he comes face to face with, with a multiverse version of Iron Man played by Tom Cruise. <laughs> I don't know. Yes, I, I, I get that. And the crowd would go nuts if that were to happen. However, I just, I really don't see Tom Cruise being Iron Man like whatsoever. 
Like as soon as that that face mask comes up, you know, and then it's Tom Cruise, you're gonna be like, no, 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 no. I can see Logan. Although I, I I think there are some other actors who could play Wolverine. Of course. But yes, it would be. I, I love Hugh Jackman. I, I just love him. Almost everything he's in, he's he's fantastic. So yeah. yes, I'm not gonna complain one iota seeing him back as Logan. I don't think anybody will. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm definitely down for that. What I would be down for too is that there was some other actresses who tried out for Captain Marvel. Uh-huh. And that would be cool too to see some other, I, I mean, I'm not really a fan of Captain Marvel, but I mean, some other actresses probably could do a, a better job in my opinion. I think that would be cool. So the key that, that I want to stress with this, and I've, I've said this before and I'll say it again and again, is the, the idea of the multiverse is fantastic because it opens that Pandora's box of what could be in terms of, like, like we were just saying, bringing back older actors who had these roles uh, many years ago, but also entertaining the idea of having other AAA actors take on the mantle in this instance of, of, of visiting through these, these dimensions of the multiverse. However, they need to be mindful of how they go about it because I don't want it to turn into a participation, ugh, participation trophy of anybody can play this role because then it starts to diminish kind of the unique exclusivity of the character. And, it, and it, I would almost, I almost see it as it, be, it becoming like a, a Saturday Night Live skit, right? Where you have all these different comedians come out who are trying to act as Captain America or Iron Man or Hulk or whoever. Um, so I, I hope they are mindful of that. I hope they're methodical in terms of how they approach it, where they they introduce us successfully to the notion that there is this multiverse, there are these different actors and stuff. But I don't want their casting choices to get sloppy. I don't want them to say, oh, yeah, sure. You know, it's almost like the like the Oprah approach. <laughs> you get a car and you get a car and you get a car. You know, I, I don't want that to necessarily happen. But from what we've seen in this article so far, I definitely think this has massive potential for fun. It ha it, yeah, but I, I, it has massive potential, but I just feel like they're walking on thin ice a little bit because the, they're gonna, that you can have multiple outcomes, at least like if you have one actor doing the role and the, the, the fans love him, you pretty much just have to keep the, the story strong and the action good and the fans are gonna keep on coming back. But if it, then you start splitting up so we're like the fans want this actor or this actress playing this character and not so much the other one, but your plan is with the other one and what do you do now? And, and it's getting kind of rocky and I don't know, it just, to me, it's you're walking on a thin rope. You're like you're just teetering. Okay, no, no, we're good, we're good, we're good, we're good, we're good. Keep going forward. No, 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 to the right, to the left. You know, I just, I'm open to it, but I'm just fearful of the the outcome. Don't shut down the happiest place on earth. It must be our topic of the day.
Topic of the day is, can Disney parks survive? There have been a number of articles that have come out as of late that chronicle what is happening to the Disneyland parks, both Disneyland and Disney World, as well as some of their other parks in this state of coronavirus. And I have two main articles that I thought would be good to kick things off. There, there's a, a bunch of information in here that I want to get through because um, I, I really want to be able to properly set the scene here. So IGN had an article that had the headline Disney at war with California governor over stringent theme park reopening guidelines. Now, California Governor Gavin Newsom has issued guidelines for when amusement parks like Disneyland and Universal Studios Hollywood can reopen. However, Disney has pushed back, calling the guidelines unworkable. Now, Governor Newsom has kept parks like Disneyland closed in California, even after um, states like Florida opened up their Disney resorts. Disney hmm. continues to demand Governor Newsom to make a call on reopening theme parks in California, and the governor sent a research team to both Disneyland and Universal Studios Hollywood, as well as each park's counterparts in Florida to find a viable strategy to reopening. So there is some movement going on. Following their findings, Governor Newsom has issued guidelines saying that the two parks can operate when their county's COVID-19 conditions are under tier four, which is the yellow color. And even then the parks can only operate at 25% limited capacity. A reservation system will also need to be in place and masks will be required in the parks. Now, California operates on a, uh, a four-tier COVID-19 system that ranges from tier one, which is purple, that means widespread, tier two, which is red, and that is substantial, tier three, orange, moderate, and tier one, yellow, minimal. For Disneyland to open at below tier one, Orange County will need to uh, report a, a, a positivity rate of less than 2% or less than one daily new case per 100,000. Now, currently Orange County is in tier two, which is the red, while Los Angeles County is in tier one, which is purple. Hence why it will likely be sometime before either Disneyland or Universal Studios can reopen under the current guidelines. Disney, already unhappy with the restrictions placed on theme parks, appears less than thrilled about the new guidelines. They have a statement from Disneyland Resort President uh, Ken Potrick, uh, Potrick, excuse me, that, that, and they said, we have, this is a quote, we have proven that we have responsibly reopened with science-based health and safety protocols strictly enforced at our theme park properties around the world. Nevertheless, the state of California continues to ignore this fact, instead mandating arbitrary guidelines that it knows are unworkable and that hold us to a standard vastly different from the reopened businesses and state operated facilities, end quote. Um, you know, he did go on to add that together with our labor unions, we want to get people back to work, but the state guidelines will keep us shuttered for the foreseeable future, forcing thousands more people out of work, leading to the inevitable closure 
of small family owned businesses and irreparably devastating the Anaheim Southern California community, end quote. So that's kind of the, the start of all of, of this as the, the scene is laid out before us here. And I know that broadly speaking, this has been one of the, the big issues, right, of, of coronavirus since it came in and just wreaked havoc across not only the United States, but the world. The, the big question comes up in terms of how do we reopen businesses in such a way that allows them to survive, right? You know, because if we were to lock ourselves down um, where no one is leaving their homes, people aren't um, able to go to their jobs, and Disney employs thousands, tens of thousands of people that are entertainers that, that, you know, they don't have the luxury of, um, being home, working from home on a computer. They, they literally, <laughs> their, their whole job right. description is being in person. So it, it's a, it's a difficult type of, of situation that I feel as though needs to be approached in a definitely, you know, and I would say obviously responsible manner. But I think it needs to also be surgical in the sense where I, 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 I honestly believe there can be a solution that enables these businesses, not just Disney, but even a lot of the smaller businesses to continue operating in a way that allows them to survive through this pandemic and then eventually be able to, to get back to 100% capacity. Um, because I, I could totally see how there, there is a, a version of this where if we don't allow for some sort of solution to take place that is responsible, um, you're, you're just, you're going to see all these businesses having to close their doors because they're, they're just not making any money. They're going to have to lay off their staff and so on and so forth. Um, now since the pandemic, Disney has laid off about 67% of its workforce. Now that's approximately 28,000 domestic employees. Meanwhile, in California, um, or excuse me, meanwhile, California has battled multiple waves of COVID-19, including a summertime resurgence after an early flattening of the curve. We, I mean, I'm sure a lot of us are already aware of that, especially our friends and family who live in California. The ongoing battle over reopening Disneyland will likely keep the company at odds with the California government. That kind of, it's kind of a no brainer. Small groups of disgruntled park goers have started protesting outside Disney, demanding the park to reopen. Um, and even former Disney CEO, Bob Iger recently resigned from governor Newsom's coronavirus economic task force. Now that is worth noting. If you recall, Bob Iger was the CEO of Disney he did a masterful job of um, leading Disney to, to where they were at before the COVID-19 thing happened. If you recall, he retired and um, passed the baton on to someone else. What's interesting to me is that it would seem as though Bob Iger is pretty aligned with Governor Newsom. So for him to actually resign from the Coronavirus Economic Task Force that's interesting because at the very least, I think that there are creative differences that the, that the two men have in terms of how to move forward. Bob Iger 
who is loyal to Disney because I mean, obviously like he, he doesn't want to see all the hard work that he's put in over the years completely crumble and turn into nothing. You know, like as far as he was concerned, he, you know, he launched Disney plus, which by the way was a massive um, savior. I would say for Disney in terms of having that launch right before this COVID-19 stuff happened, because as, as a result, like the movie theaters, for instance, they're another business that is really on um, life support at this point because they are unable to really be able to have new movies coming through. Disney is one of those main providers of those films. They have not been able to make any kind of money on their initial schedule. So um, what, you, what are some of your thoughts? I, I've done a bit of an info dump on you here, but in terms of, of Disney's survivability into the future, I mean, do you think that Disney can make it through this tough time or do you think that there needs to be certain changes made? I think they can make it. I don't know if they can make it in California per se, but I do think they can make it. It's kind of, you know, I don't want to downplay the virus at all, but I mean, there's people who have it and there's people who don't have it. And there's people who are completely healthy. And if those, if those healthy people still take the social distancing measures and the mask measures and they're, they're very cautious then they could still go to the park and be healthy and be safe and be patrons and keep these businesses going. Um, and I think that's necessary because, I mean, if you if you expel that out to anybody else who has a job altogether, they need income to pay their health bill, right? Or else, I mean, if they're going to get coronavirus and they don't have money to pay their insurance. I mean, you either are going to have a flood of ER, uh, you know, patients that come in that can't get the attention they need, or you're going to have people who just can't pay for their, their, I mean, and so that's not the healthy approach either. I'm not saying that people going to Disneyland, they, they should go be, even, you know, healthy or not. I'm saying, look, there is a, a conscious, healthy approach to keeping businesses alive and being a responsible citizen at the same time, where if you're sick, Hey, you know what? There's people out there to help you. You can get attention, heal up. You know, everyone's got your back. We're all trying to get over this all together. Stay home. If you're not sick and you're not spreading the virus because you don't have the virus, then Hey, and you want to go spend your hard earned dollars at Disneyland and have a, a nice memory with your friends and or family, then I think you should go. I don't think there's a problem whatsoever with that. I think that um, the park, to keep the park going, they need probably a million plus bucks a day. You know, I mean, there's tons of employees. There's oh, I, maintenance on the machines. I mean, they're, yeah, they're, they're, they're pulling losing. in. They're pulling in all kinds of cash on a daily basis. On a daily basis, right? But they they need <clears throat> cash to survive. Um, well, and I think that I'm just going to interject really quick. Disney has gotten so big. I mean, they are such a conglomerate in terms of, you know, they have ABC, they have ESPN, they have the parks, they have Disney plus, they have their movie divisions and you've got to have a cash machine that is working in order to, to keep that afloat. And I think under normal circumstances, they thrive. I think they're, they're able to very easily cover all the overhead that they have within all of the different branches that Disney owns. 
And on top of that, they're able to, to, to make some cheddar on top of that. I mean, like just looking at the, the Avengers movies alone made billions of dollars. So they, they made a fantastic return on their investment. And then as Disney's model works, they, they then reinvest that money into future projects, right? So like for instance, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge was the latest attraction in Disneyland and Disney World. However, with this coronavirus situation taking shape and, and affecting everyone, um, I think that, that they have then run into a bit of a, a situation where how do they survive past this? And it's, it's such a sticky situation because on the one hand, it's like the public and the government are trying to uh, flatten the curve, right? Like, like they don't, they don't want to introduce people unnecessarily to exposure, but at the same time, you have these, these businesses like Disney that once again, we have no idea how they're going to be able to survive. And one of the problems is I've heard people say, well, well the, the government should step in and help pay their bills for the time being. <laughs> and the problem is, is that our deficit and I don't want to go too much into financials here, but our national deficit is, has now reached $27 trillion. It, it, it's insane how far into debt the government is. The other problem is that the government's um, existence is not to generate a profit. You know, they, they can make more money, but then that cheapens the value of the dollar. And especially if I were to look at just Disney alone, they would need billions of dollars in order to, to stay afloat and stay healthy. So you have that side of things. But then, of course, like what we said earlier, when it comes to, to people's livelihoods, when it comes to being able to keep this place open, I know for me, like I, for one, want to see Disney survive just simply because they have been such a pop culture American company icon for decades. They've brought joy and entertainment to multiple generations. And really when it comes to the parks themselves, like Disneyland and Disney world, it's like one of those very few places that is family friendly that you, you know, you, you kind of dream about like when I have a family and I have kids of my own, like we're going to go, it's going to, we're going to come full circle where like I was a kid and I enjoyed Disney, but now as a parent, I can enjoy Disney in a, in a different perspective and, and also watch my kids enjoy and stuff. And it would just be um, an atrocity really if, Disney had to just shut down and um, go the way of the dinosaur. Well, I mean, Disney would not fully shut down. They would still, they would be basically a movie studio in a sense, or people would just have to flock to Florida <laughs> and go there. I mean, my employer just went there not too long ago and the Florida one is actually doing okay. Yeah. Well, and, and, and you you are segueing into the next article, which I found on Fox business um, and the, the headline says, Walt Disney World lays off uh, live show entertainers casts a dark shadow on popular Disney attractions. So I'll go into this because there, there's quite a bit of this uh, information on, on um, this article as well. So Walt Disney World staffers were hit with a round of layoffs on Tuesday, leaving the future of some of the themes park, uh, excuse me, some of the theme parks, beloved live performances and biggest attractions unknown. And this, this was this past Tuesday. The cuts were confirmed to Fox Business in a statement shared by the Actors' Equity Association, a union that represents a number of Walt Disney World's performers. 
quote, our hearts go out to all the cast members at Walt Disney World. Disney has made it clear that our members would face work reductions since they announced layoffs of nearly 28,000 employees. That does not make this news any less painful, said Kate Schindel, president of Actors' Equity Association. The statement continues, quote, these reductions are another tragic reminder that until the virus is brought under control with a national strategy for masks, testing, and contact tracing, everyone who works in the arts needs help like extended pandemic unemployment, insurance, and federal COBRA health insurance subsidies, end quote. The Orlando Sentinel first reported that entertainers of some of its most popular live shows, including festivals of The Lion King or Finding Nemo, the musical, were let go on Tuesday. Some of the biggest attractions affected include staffers of the Hoop Dee Doo musical review, the cast of Monsters, Inc., Laugh Floor, Beauty and the Beast live on stage, and Indiana Jones' epic stunt spectacular, the outlet reports. The Hoop Dee Doo musical review... Uh, dinner show had been a staple since 1974. One of its entertainers, Nicolette Quintero, uh, reacted to being laid off on Tuesday. And um, reports also state that the Star Wars interactive show staffers of the Jedi Training Academy and Green Army Men actors were affected. The entire cast of Monsters, Inc. Laugh Floor uh, was reportedly cut too. The show took place at Magic Kingdom. Uh, the live Beauty and the Beast stage show was also laid off at Hollywood Studios, as well as the cast of Indiana Jones' uh, Epic Stunt Spectacular. We were to cover that there. Um, now, performers on Main Street USA in the Magic Kingdom Park and entertainers of Citizens of Hollywood at Disney's Hollywood Studio were reportedly also included in the cuts. So that goes beyond Disneyland and Disney World because Disney has these other parks um, known as Magic Kingdom and Disney's Hollywood studios. So we're seeing this play out where it's almost like a domino effect that's occurring within their, their different parks. The layoffs come after months of reduced footing at the parks um, caused by the coronavirus pandemic. Disney chairman uh, Josh D'Amaro um, announced in September that the reductions were on the horizon at the time. Uh, and then they, they go into some of the similar information here, but um, there is a quote from Mr. Diamaro. Uh, he says, in light of the, the prolonged impact of COVID-19 on our business, including limited capacity due to physical distancing requirements and the continued uncertainty regarding the duration of the pandemic exacerbated in California by the state's unwillingness to lift restrictions that would allow Disneyland to reopen. We have made the very difficult decision to begin the process of reducing our workforce at our parks, experiences and products uh, segment at all levels. Having kept non-working cast members on furlough since April while paying health insurance benefits. So the Orlando Sentinel reported that the layoffs will ultimately result in a 20% of its Orlando staff being cut, which equates to more than 15,500 employees. So that's another angle of the, of the entire situation as well, in the sense where the, the employees who've been on furlough and haven't been working, but Disney's still been trying to kind of pay them a reduced rate of a salary as well as pay their health benefits and stuff. Well, again... <laughs> When you have tens of thousands of people it adds up. and you don't, you're not making any profit, it does, it adds up, especially considering the fact that they've had them in that situation since April of this year. That's a, that's a long time. 
keep paying the bill. Yeah. So did you have any uh, additional thoughts on all that? You know, I, I mean, part of me just thinks that, hey, Disney's got to do what they got to do to survive because they're not going to, they're not going to go break the law. They're not going to go against, you know, government <laughs> mandates to be like, we're going to keep the park and screw the governor sort of thing. I mean, that's not going to happen. Um, but they're not going to, I mean, if they really look for a specific, you can't just apply, anybody can't just apply at Disney and, and get accepted. Like they're, they're, well, I'm trying to look for the word. I think they're, they apply a lot of filters to people who, uh, who apply. Like no one can just come in and be like a Disney. No one can well, be I mean, Bill or Ariel or Jasmine or something. They're like, very you selective have to be, with their cast choices. Yeah. They have a high level of scrutiny, I would say. And, and so I don't think they want those people to go away because then they have to start that process all over. And that would take a while to find an, another very good fit. And, but these people need to survive and pay their bills too. So what, as Disney, what, what do you do? I mean, at some point, movies will still be made because there's platforms to watch the movies on. You can watch them on your Xbox. You can watch them on your smart TV. You can watch them on Disney. Play. Like, you know, there, there's, the movie business would still go on. But will it though? Like, I'm going to interject here really quick. Once again, the theaters, the movie chains are really struggling right now. In fact, there was one of them. Which one was it? Was it AMC? It was AMC. That is going under. Right. They're like one of the largest theater chains. And so my question, just, just you know, not only to you, but just broadly speaking, it's almost a rhetorical question in a way. How does the movie industry survive through this as well? Because for instance, Disney has its film divisions, but if you're really not drawing any people to the theater chains and some of those theater chains are still closed, they're not going to make a return on their investment of those films. The theater chains can't make a profit themselves. So then you're going to have the brick and mortar locations at risk of surviving you know, the only thing that that can survive as a result would be their Disney Plus platform. Like literally like for them to have Disney Plus exist and launched at this point, I think that would be their safety net. That would be their plan B in order to keep that going simply because it, I mean, it may very well be that we see the crumbling of all major theater. I mean, you have Cinemark, you have Regal Theaters and you have AMC. And I don't recall if it was AMC that went down or if it was Regal Theaters. It may be Regal Theaters now that I'm thinking about it. I think AMC may still be alive. Uh, but it, again, how long does that last? And especially considering that they haven't been in business properly since March of this year. True. But I mean, we're not really talking about the theaters. We're talking about Disney. We're right. But what I'm saying is like, I think it's a domino effect because I think Disney is being impacted not only at the parks, but in terms of, of, of having more of a, a eye, eye bird view or eye bird, bird's eye view. Bird's that? eye view. Does that, does that work a little bit? But in terms of having a bird's eye view, looking at more of a macro level of everything and seeing, you know, where, where are Disney's areas where they can still generate revenue, right? Disney Plus is one of those areas where they have that monthly subscriber fee, so they are able to bring in that cash flow. However, their, their movie side of things they haven't made any money this year or very little. But I think that's that's <coughs> their choice to release the movies in the way that they do. I 
Bill and Ted just came out on across all streaming platforms. I don't know how well it did or if it did well at all, but I think if Disney strategized a little bit and said, hey, you know, it's 2020, everything's digital. We don't need to send out a movie reel or, you know, a USB stick uh, with the, <laughs> the movie on it to, you know, AMC and Regal. Now, I'm not saying that they are irrelevant because I'm not, I, that that's far from it. They need a business too, but I'm trying to stick with the topic of just business. Sure. Of Disney with a B, not a D. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Disney, Disney needs to say Disney. <laughs> so I, I'm thinking that, hey, you know, if if they say, look, we're gonna make another movie, we're gonna we're gonna throw out another movie, and if you have Disney Plus, then you get access to that movie first. But you got to have Disney Plus. After two weeks, yeah, you can watch it on any streaming service. Still paid for it, and you're gonna pay. I think Bill and Ted was like 20 bucks or something. So instead of paying one ticket at the theater, you're going to pay, you know, probably two, two or three times the price of the ticket, but your whole entire family can watch and you guys can watch in the comfort of your own home. Right. So there is that too. It's not like, well, we can't make any money at all. It's 2020, almost 2021. And there's no possible way for us to make money. There is definitely a way to, for them to make money. I just think it won't be as much, but where there's a will, there's a way. And I think they could still stay in business. They might have to tighten the belt down quite a bit, but um, I, I, th I still think it's possible. I think it's a matter of conditioning too, when it comes to the, the masses, right? Because up until this year, people have been conditioned to like, if a new movie comes out, they go to a brick and mortar location. They go to AMC, they go to Regal Theater, they go to Cinemark, they go to uh, mom and pop movie chain, whatever it is, um, or theater chain. And I think that there needs to be a shift in order for that to work. And I think there will be. I do think that we are kind of on this precipice of having folks who want, who, you know, they're, they're, they miss going to the movies, right? They miss that, that constant stream of, of films that are coming out. You and I are big movie fans. We love going to the theater. We love seeing new movies. And I think that there is certainly an avenue, at least when it comes to Disney because of Disney plus where they can make that shift. I think that, that there has to be a, um, a decision that gets made at the, the the high level where I don't know if it would be temp on a temporary basis or if it'd be a more permanent basis, but I think they're going there. There's going to reach a point where due to all the films that they already had on deck to release this year that have not been released. I have a feeling that there, there will have a, a decision where they will in fact use Disney plus as the, the, the vehicle to be able to release these films. They'll probably charge a premium like what you're saying. So and I could totally see them having some sort of setup where for the first like three months, they charge a premium price in order to see it. So that way they can still kind of average out their profit, whatever it may be. And then when the film gets re-released quote unquote, in terms of it being more of a, you know, home, ownership type of deal, then they slash those prices to what we are accustomed to, to paying for on like a streaming platform. I could totally see that working. That's a very easy thing to do. I don't, however, know how the other movie studios are going to do that because they do not have their own version of Disney plus. They do not have, um, anything like that. Now they do have partnerships when it comes to, to platforms like Netflix or 
Amazon Prime, so on and so forth, Apple TV. And maybe they can work out some kind of deal in that regard because they just, I, I do not see these different movie studios having the capital or the, the, the know-all to be able to <laughs> create their own competing platforms. I, it's just not going to work. Getting back though to the parks themselves, one of the spooky notions that I have is not being able to go to those parks. And I think that that is a possibility no matter how scary that is or sad really. But when it comes to the, the dynasty of the parks themselves, I'm not sure what the future prognosis is going to be in terms of them being able to stay afloat. And that's to me, that's just awful because I look forward to taking my daughter to the parks. I want to be able to continue seeing the imagineering that goes into each one of those attractions that they release or, or a new land that gets added to the, the entire ecosystem of Disneyland or Disney world. It would be a, a, just a tragedy if they end up having to close those doors. And let's say for instance, some rich people come in and they end up buying up the company and the property and that sort of thing. Well, then it would be kind of this, this interesting situation where I don't think the, the spirit of Disney would necessarily still be there. And it's been, you know, to a certain extent, it's been separated just because, you know, Walt Disney um, has been gone for some time now. Roy Disney, I don't think is really that as involved as he once was there. And, and the CEO leadership have exchanged hands now several times over the past 40 years. So I don't really have an answer for it. I well, really don't. I don't know how to go about it because even like, like my personal view currently at the present is I'm not going to go out of my way to go to a place like Disneyland at this point in time, simply because I want to take preventative measures to not expose potentially myself or my family to coronavirus. Uh, but that's just my own personal take. I mean, everybody has their own kind of um, idea of safety and, and being thoughtful of others with perhaps um, autoimmune issues and that sort of thing. Um, but it, it is one of those, those, those sticky situations where, I see the I see the validity on both sides of the issue and I do not know necessarily the 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 100% correct way to go about it. Yeah, it's it's difficult. It's difficult. They're in a rock and a hard place. I I think they have the right idea. I don't I don't want to believe that Disney goes, yeah, you just open the parks, open the floodgates, everybody you know, come in. I, I, they don't want to be responsible for people getting sick and this and, and the pandemic spreading across the park because then they will, really will be shut down. So I fully believe that that Disney wants to do the right thing. I don't think they have, I don't, I don't think the, the governor really has a plan to reopen California the right way so that business can get back to normal uh, or just our business as usual. And because of that, with the laws in place, that's really stapling them <laughs> to the wall in, in terms of like, well, okay, well, what are we supposed to do? I mean, you know, we, 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 we can't afford our staff to so have to let the staff go. The staff is part of the big reason why 
people come here. So if no one wants to come here because the staff isn't here, they don't want to get sick, then we have to close our doors. And if we close our doors, that we're not making any money. If we're not making you money here, where could we be? we make money? And I think that, you know, I know there's a rumor that was spreading around that Disney was going <laughs> to move to Texas. And that was completely <laughs> false. That was false. However, that does pose a question like, hey, you know, if, if Texas, now Texas has had, they, they, you know, <laughs> made some mistakes too, but. Um, oh, well, and, and even, <laughs> even currently, uh, I think it's El Paso is having some huge spike right now right. where their hospitals are being overwhelmed. So yeah, it, it's not really a question of, of geography in terms of where Disney should be because the, the virus is everywhere. My thing is, is that I think Disney, the, Disney is a master of the user experience, right? When you step foot in their parks or if you watch one of their movies, or just anything that has the Disney brand on it. If you go on one of their cruise lines, for instance, they know how to make the most optimal, enjoyable, fun-filled experience. Now you pay for that experience, but my point is, is that they, they know how to tailor that in such a way that when you leave and you go home, you're on this euphoric high you really do. And you, you feel so elated and happy and filled with joy because they know how to tap into all of those different things that we as human beings long for. And I really do think that a, a, an entity like Disney could responsibly sit down and look at the situation and say, okay, here is the criteria that after meeting with doctors and, and medical professionals and um, lawyers, because obviously they're going to have to address like, for instance, like if people do get uh, infected at their parks, what does that look like? Are they going to be able to sue the park, you know, or do they have to sign a waiver? You know, I really do believe there is a solution to this. And I just think it, it just, it means having the necessary parties come to the table with open minds with the idea that they want to see if they can come up with some sort of solution. And again, I, maybe that is, you know, having a certain percentage of the population only be allowed to be at the park. Like if you start out 25% capacity or whatever, and you work your way from there, who knows? But, um, at the end of the day, I think about how the name of our podcast is joygasm. And I really do think that Disney personifies having a joygasm when you go to their parks. I mean, you can't help it. You, it doesn't matter if you're in adventure land or fantasy land or any of the others that, that you go to. I mean, even watching their parades and stuff, I, I think that, that it would be, um, man, unthinkable to see that, that go the, like I said earlier, the way of the dinosaur. Did you have any concluding thoughts, Steve? I was going to comment on your user experience. Yeah, they, they are masters at the user experience, but they have to have users to get the experience. And if the users aren't there, or if the users aren't using their product because of politics or government regulation or just not even paying attention to science, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, then the users aren't going to have the experience. So there, there's multiple avenues that this needs to be explored, but the people, but the powers that be just need to sit down and, and, and say, okay, we know there's a pandemic. We, we, we know more about it now than we knew about it before. 
how can we survive as an economy and, you know, what can we do? Everyone has to come to the table and really sit down and figure this out. They just can't say we're going to close our doors because we're afraid that people are going to get sick. There's way more to it than that. And that wraps up this episode of Joygasm. Make sure you tune in next week. Thanks for hanging out with us. If you enjoyed this episode, we invite you to check out patreon.com slash joygasm, which is spelled J-O-Y-G-A-S-M, and consider becoming a monthly contributor. You'll get exclusive perks and early access to the show, not to mention it really helps us continue doing what we love to do. Also, you can follow us on social media and YouTube. Just do a search for Joygasm TV. Last but certainly not least, search Joygasm TV on Twitch to see us stream our gaming adventures live every Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Central Time. We will see you all next week.